Good morning, church. This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, reading from verse 18 through to verse 5 of the following. You'll find this on page 924 of the Pew Bibles. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not test, might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice in it and be glad. Thanks, Val, and we 
really helpful if you have a Bible and can uh, keep it open there. We're going to be looking at that passage today as we continue in our series on uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, a few weeks ago, Simone and I had the opportunity to go along and see the uh, musical Les Mis uh, put on by the Cairns Choral Society. And uh, I know quite a few of you uh, got to go and see it as well because uh, we actually went twice and uh, saw some of you there. Uh, it re- it's actually my favourite musical of all time, uh, partly because music is so epic, uh, but also because it's a, a musical that has uh, a lot of themes of justice and mercy and life and death, and it explores them at least partly from a, a biblical perspective uh, and uh, a perspective that, that we might, uh, that, that I find uh, really thought-provoking. Uh, there's one scene in musical that I find uh, really powerful. At the beginning of the story, uh, Jean Valjean, uh, the main character, is an ex-convict and um, he's discovered that even though he's been released from jail and he served his time, nobody wants anything to do with him. No one will give him a job, no one will let him stay in their place. Uh, they all say, oh, he's an ex-con, we don't want anything to do with you, you're, you're a terrible character. They write him off as a failure. But where everyone else rejects uh, Jean Valjean, uh, there's a kind priest uh, who is willing to take him into his house, uh, shares his food with him, uh, offers him a place to sleep uh, and, and treats him really well. But Valjean is so bitter from his unfair and brutal treatment. Uh, I think on the screen there is uh, that's Jean Valjean and the priest uh, having a dinner together. But Valjean is so bitter because of his brutal treatment and the injustice that he feels in his life. As soon as the priest uh, goes off to bed, uh, Jean Valjean actually steals the priest's silver and tries to make an escape with it. But he doesn't get very far. Uh, He's caught uh, by the police and the police bring Valjean back with this bag of silver and they kind of throw him on the ground next to to the priest and say, "Uh, look, here's this man. He just stole your silver. Uh, Tell us what happened and we will make sure that he receives justice. In this incredible act of grace... Instead of taking back his silver, instead of saying, yes, uh, Valjean is guilty, send him back to jail where he belongs. Uh, The priest instead says to the police, no, uh, uh, no, no, Valjean didn't steal anything. This has all been a great big mix-up. I gave the silver to Valjean. And in fact, I didn't just give him this uh, silver. I also gave him the candlesticks and he'd forgotten to take the silver candlesticks with him. And uh, and so uh, he sends him away, not only with this bag full of silver that he's stolen, uh, but also with his candlesticks. Instead of facing just condemnation, instead of going back to prison as he deserves, Valjean experiences incredible act of mercy and grace. He goes away not just a free man, but actually a man who's been blessed with uh, all the money that he needs to begin a new life. And that uh, what the rest of the musical is all about. Think about it, the act of this priest in not demanding justice, in not only uh, letting Valjean off, but even giving him more. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, It seems that it is impractical to behave like that. To do something like that, it's um, it's just rewarding bad behavior, isn't it? It's a recipe for getting taken advantage of. 
Uh, this is not normal, common sense behavior. The act of the priest is not inspired by common sense. The act of the priest is inspired by the upside-down message that it is the very heart of Christianity. It's inspired by the message of the cross. And the message of the cross has always been a crazy-sounding message. The message that there is a saviour who gave up everything uh, that, that he had to come and sacrifice himself on a cross to show grace and mercy to people who didn't deserve it. That is a message that just seems crazy. It seems crazy to us today, uh, but we're actually people who have heard this message all our lives. We're people who live in a culture where, uh, you know, you drive down the road and you see buildings uh, with crosses on top of them. Uh, We're in a culture where you see people proudly uh, wearing crosses as jewellery. The message was even less uh, understandable or conceivable to people back in the first century AD. In the Roman Empire, uh, there was no cross jewellery anywhere. Nobody would dream of putting a cross proudly on the top of a building. Back at the time when 1 Corinthians was being written, uh, the cross was just a shameful, brutal form of punishment. The cross was the electric chair. The cross was the hangman's noose. The cross was an executioner's act. But Paul wants Christians... Uh, the Christians he was writing to back then, and, the, and he wants us now to understand that this unbelievable event is actually the most powerful act of grace and mercy and wisdom in history. You can see how Paul describes the situation in verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. To the average person on the street of Corinth, the message of the cross is foolish. The idea that this brutal, humiliating death could be a powerful act of salvation, it just doesn't make sense. Some of you might have seen uh, this picture on the screen before. Uh, It's a relatively famous bit of ancient Roman graffiti. There's a a man there. He's uh, worshipping a donkey on a cross. And the inscription in Greek there, it says, Alexamenos worships his God. This graffiti was probably came from a little while after the book of 1 Corinthians was written, maybe about 100, 150 years later, uh, but it was uh, found in, uh, in Rome. And uh, I think it would have captured what the average person in Corinth would have thought, like the rest of the Roman Empire. They would have thought the idea of a crucified saviour makes as much sense uh, and is as powerful as a donkey. But in spite of everything that everyone else would have thought, Paul insists that this horrible event is in fact God's wisdom and God's power. And more than that, God deliberately used this this method of salvation that would seem uh, foolish to the rest of the world. 
God deliberately chose something that would destroy the wisdom of the wise and, uh, and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 20, he says, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Uh, God has chosen to save people through a message that no religious expert or philosophical, uh, 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 philosophical expert would ever come up with. He's chosen to save people through a message that can only be received by faith. Writes in the second half of verse 21, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. See, nobody ever sat down and tried to come up with a solution to the world's problems and thought, what does the world really need? It really needs someone to die on a cross. No one ever thought that, did they? If you look back at our passage uh, in verse 23, uh, Paul mentions two solutions that, that people had come up with in his day. Uh, Jewish people thought the world could be saved through powerful signs and wonders. Uh, probably they thought back to the Exodus when Moses was there and God sent those plagues on Egypt and rescued them through the Red Sea. And they thought, well, that, that's salvation. If God can do something like that, uh, he can save the world. Uh, Greeks or Gentiles, Paul says, well, they thought that the world could be saved through wisdom or through philosophy, through really clever people thinking hard enough, uh, they would come up with a solution to the problems of, of the world. And over the centuries, people have come up with all kinds of solutions, haven't they, to the world's problems. People thought the world needs more education, more technology, more love, more justice, more policing, more freedom. But God chose to save the world in a way that no one ever thought of. A way that looks foolish and like a failure. God chose to save the world through the painful, humiliating death of Jesus on the cross. So I want to ask you this morning, have you come to believe in the power of the cross? Have you come to believe that this event is God's wisdom and God's power? The cross where Jesus takes the judgment that you deserve, where he brings cleansing and forgiveness and the opportunity for a new start. The greatest power doesn't come from your education, from your success at work, your bank balance, your ministry at church, your Bible knowledge, your ability to share the faith. All these things are your achievements. But the greatest power you can have in your life is the forgiveness and the cleansing and the new life that comes from the cross. We're invited to believe in the cross, to make it the very heart of our faith. And Paul goes on to explain that uh, the reason that God chose to use this foolish-sounding method to save the world is because he actually wants every single person to have the same opportunity to be saved. Uh, he wants the foolish to have the same opportunity as the intelligent. He wants the weak to have the same opportunity as the strong. He wants the poor to have the same opportunity as the rich. Uh, he wants to show the same kind of mercy and grace as that priest showed in Les Mis. 
I was reading this week about a court case uh, that's happening at the moment uh, to try and answer the question of who invented Bitcoin, you know, the online currency that uh, makes people a lot of money. Uh, the Australian guy on the screen there, Craig Wright, uh, he actually claims that he's the one invented it, who invented it, uh, and he's asking a court to kind of declare that that's true. I've no idea if he did invent it or not, but if he proves his case, uh, he's going to be very wealthy uh, and he's going to be very famous. His name will go down in the history book as the person who invented this new form of, uh, of money. Nobody can claim that they invented the cross. Nobody can claim that they paid for the cross. Nobody can claim that they can do a special miracle like the cross. The cross is 100% God's idea and 100% God's power. And although they don't realize it, the church that Paul's writing to in Corinth, they're like a living, breathing demonstration of how the, the foolish message of the cross works. Because they're not people who've been saved because of their background or their achievements or their popularity. I look what Paul writes in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You kind of get the impression as you read through the letter that the Corinthians didn't really like to acknowledge their humble backgrounds. They were tempted to think that actually they were pretty special people. They didn't like to think that they were poor sinners like Jean Valjean or something like that. They thought they had the best sermons. They had the best spiritual gifts. They had the best understanding. But Paul reminds them, in human terms, they were nothing special. In human terms, their intelligence and their achievements and their fame was all below average. The only place they do stand out is as a perfect example of why God uses the cross. They are a perfect example that no matter where you come from or who you are, you can receive the power of the cross by faith. You can receive salvation by trusting in Jesus' death. Paul says in verse 30, it is Jesus Christ who is our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The cross means there's no room for pride in church. There's no only one thing we can boast in, and that is the Lord and his death for us. Now, it's certainly a temptation for churches to think they're better than other churches, for Christians to think they're better than non-Christians, for educated Christians or wealthy Christians or influential Christians to think they're better than poor or struggling Christians. Paul says, no. If you're a Christian, you have only one thing to boast in. That is the Lord. That is Jesus 
and his death for you. It can be kind of tempting to wish that the church was full of more successful or more popular or more influential people, as if the number of celebrities or CEOs or professors could kind of prove to the world around us that the message is true. Look at how many impressive people we've got here. But the truth is, it's not the number of powerful or successful or influential Christians who show the power of God. It's a number of ordinary, foolish, weak, poor people in the church. That is what shows God's power. That's why he chose to use the method of the cross to save people. New Testament scholar Don Carson writes about the early church. He says, It has been repeatedly shown that the first century that first century Christianity was astonishingly heterogeneous. It was the only society in the empire that brought together slave and free, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female. This was a radical thing that the message of the cross created. And we want to reflect that in our church community too. We want to reflect the cross in who we welcome, in who we honour, in who we celebrate as a church. If people are looking in from the outside and thinking, well, that's not a very impressive group of people who are there on Sunday morning, it actually means we're doing something right. It's a sign that Jesus' death is shaping who we are as a church. And I hope that is the kind of church that you want us to be. A church that doesn't boast and how successful we are, and how wealthy we are, and how intelligent we are. But a church that boasts that we have been saved by Jesus. And if the cross is the power of God, then that means it not only shapes who we are, but it needs to shape the ministry that we're doing. It needs to shape the preaching that we have as a church. And that's the the last point that Paul makes in uh, our section of the letter today. Look at how the cross shaped Paul's ministry, chapter 2, verse 1. And so I was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul could have tried to dazzle people with fashionable philosophies or slick public speaking skills. Instead, he had a laser-like focus on the cross. His only aim was to help people understand that Jesus had died for them and what that meant for their lives. As we've seen, the reason that he focused on this message is that this is where the power of God is. He goes on, verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my words were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul's not saying here that uh, he gave deliberately boring or unclear sermons. Uh, You know, uh, if that happens uh, from time to time, uh, that's not what God wants. Uh, You only have to read the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians. What we're going to see, Paul was actually a fantastic communicator. Uh, And there's some beautiful bits of 1 Corinthians and some scathing bits of 1 Corinthians where he challenges people. Paul knows how to use words in a powerful way to communicate his message. 
What he's saying here, though, is that he never wants people to go away from his sermon thinking, wow, what a great preacher Paul is. He never wants people to go away thinking, man, that the Paul, so skilled, he was so educated. The only thing Paul wants in his ministry is for people to go away thinking, wow, Jesus is a great saviour. I know why he died on the cross for me. Paul never wanted to manipulate people by promising too much or he never wanted to show off with big words or uh, he never wanted to avoid the unfashionable parts of the message of the cross. He didn't want to be seen as a shonky used car salesman, a tricky politician. All his gifts and all his skills he used to make the message that Jesus died to save us from our sins crystal clear. That is where the power of the gospel is. That's got to be our aim as a church, to share Paul's focus on the message of the cross. We're tempting at times to want to offer other things to people, to offer things like prosperity and health and success in life. But that's not what Jesus promises us. And that's not the power that we have to offer. We don't want to dazzle people with great buildings or awesome programs or brilliant organization. These things aren't wrong. But the power of the gospel is not in those things. The power of the gospel is the death of Jesus on the cross. And anything that obscures Jesus' death, anything that downplays that message, anything that becomes more important than that message, it is unhelpful and it is countercultural. It is counterproductive. The power of God is not in human wisdom. The power of God is not in things uh, that the world will find impressive or attractive. The power and wisdom of God are found only in the cross. The message that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice, the message that he gave his life as a sacrifice to save ungrateful and rebellious sinners like me, like you, it seems such a crazy message. It's a message that seems to fly in the face of common sense and good judgment. But that is what God has done. That is what we're all called to believe, whatever background we're coming from. This is the message that should shape our identity as a church. This should be at the heart of our preaching, the heart of our ministry. May God's Spirit help us, like the Apostle, to know nothing by the cross. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus and his death on the cross. Thank you that he gave his life as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and set free from sin. We pray, Father, that each one of us would have the humility to know that we can only ever be members of your kingdom because of Jesus. Help us to know that none of the things that we bring to you matter. It's only what you have done for us. Father, we pray that the message of the cross would be central to our thinking, to our understanding, to our life together as a church, and to the ministry that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.